Those of you who've been parents will know the terrible twos. Um, it's the I can do it myself. I want to do it my way. A bit like Frank Sinatra's song and a bit like the king that we're about to meet here who did everything to exalt himself. You know, I, I realised when I was preparing this that that's actually a pretty good definition of sin, exalting yourself. I can do my life better than God can do my life. So we read here um, uh, an example of the thing that's been God's lament through much of the Old Testament, particularly we meet it again and again in Judges. And God's lament is each man did what was right in his own eyes. And so it's been since the time of Adam. Except that Adam didn't realise that his eyes had been corrupted by Satan. And ever since, this measure has become the default position of the human heart. The form this takes in behaviour is often determined by the sort of personality of the person that we're talking about. There are plenty of people who think they don't need to follow God's way because they're good people. Just have to do it their way and God will be pleased with them. There are others who delight in doing the worst they can because no one's opinion matters to them more than their own. So our passage today covers several important messages. It talks about the fact that there will be opposition to God and his people, that God knows how to protect his people and to judge unrighteousness and has set the day for it. And it teaches us that we don't know the time, so we have to be ready. And it reminds us about resurrection and points us in that way to the New Testament. Verses 36 to the end of the chapter 11 um, remind us that there'll always be opposition to God and his people, and it's described here as battle, um, and certainly there have been battles. Sometimes it's just been ideological opposition. But nonetheless, a lot of scholars consider that what we're seeing here is a description of the end times. Not the end of times before Jesus came, but the end of times before Jesus returns. And what it describes is people opposed uh, to um, the people of God and one who particularly exalts himself to a place rightly belonging to God. And people talk about the Antichrist and he's described in other parts of the scriptures as one who simply does not accept that Jesus is God. It's interesting, the children this morning are going to have to learn that bit that Jesus is God. You don't have God and Jesus, you have God. This person who sets themselves up in the end of chapter 11 worships war as a way of doing business. And we know there are people for whom aggression is kind of their default position. This describes, some of the things described here are 
historical things that have happened, but they can't be attributed to any one person because they recur. They're the things that bad people do again and again. So here the prophecies about the immediate future become mixed up with those for the end times, our end times. Um, Daniel has taken great uh, care to describe them, but the descriptions are not just of a particular person or a particular event, but uh, the, the thing that strikes us when we read this, though, is that no matter how bad the bad gets, it says, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. It doesn't matter how bad the bad are because God's working on the rest of us. And the sec- I think that's why the second thing that this teaches us is that God knows how to protect his people. Verse 12 starts, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arrive. We have to read this bit in conjunction with the New Testament, I think. We have to realise that this, some of this is talking about Jesus who will come and make things right and Jesus who will return and make sure that evil is punished. Because this chapter describes both trial and triumph, times and times to come. It's made clear to Daniel that some things are too hard for God's people to understand. 12.13 says, As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will arise to receive your allotted inheritance. And in Revelation it's written like this. I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labour, for their deeds will follow them. So God has a plan to protect and reward his people. Jesus described the end of the age like this in Matthew 24. He, in a private moment, the disciples asked him, um, well, this will happen. When will it happen? Everybody wants to know, when will it happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 
Because of the increase in wickedness, Jesus continued, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus continues, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, or don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform many great signs and wonders to deceive, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out, or here he is in the interim, don't believe it, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the West, so will be the coming of man. Listen. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son. For in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a mill and one will be taken and the other's left. Jesus' disciples, just like one of the the people in the vision wanted to know when. He wants Gabriel to say, when is it going to happen? And the startling answer is when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. Now this sounds like the time is coming when those who love God will have little impact on the world or how it operates, when no one will listen to them. At that time, Peter assures us that the God who knows how to punish wickedness also knows how to rescue godly people from trials. At that time, they may all have to endure a time when God will be silent. Amos prophesied, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. This is what will happen when God's people stop speaking. Daniel is confused. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 12, he says, I heard, but I didn't understand. So I asked. My Lord, what will be the outcome? And he was told again, go Daniel, the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Many people have written a lot about making up, <clears throat> working out when the date is. We've had several people prophesy the date is about to come and it's come and gone. 
as a student of the whole of the Bible, I have to say that I figure if Jesus doesn't know, what the chances of the Holy Spirit telling me? And if it's not the Holy Spirit telling me, it's probably going to be wrong. So we have this picture of the end of the time when God's people will be protected and saved and the wicked will get what my grandmother used to call their comeuppance. There will be punishment for wickedness. So what we need to understand is to be prepared. Jesus in Matthew says, be ready. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have set watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you did not expect him. Paul describes it like this in 1 Thessalonians. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Following the ascension of Jesus, the New Testament church expected his return soon. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians and Peter in 2 Peter both have a lot to say about the return and what it will look like because people were anxious. But both write not to help you work out the day, but to warn Christians to live with the return of Christ as Lord and the judgment to follow as prompts to commit to the service of the gospel and godly living. This is the lesson they've taken from Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews puts it like this, Hebrews 2, 1 to 5. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard it. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we have speaking. So there we are. We know that we don't know the time, but we have to live as though it were soon. I remember as a young um, person growing up in the Anglican Church being told that to ask myself where, where I was going, would I want Jesus to come back and find me there? 
But as an adult, I can tell you that it's more than that. Jesus is with me and goes where I go. He hears what I say. He knows what I think. And the question always is, is this something that my Lord would want? That's how we be ready. Being ready is vital. Chapter 12 brings us what's been described as the end times and Daniel's prophesying the end, more opposition to God, more to his people. But what could be worse to the Jewish people at the time than not being able to sacrifice to God? To most Jews it wouldn't matter, but to some it mattered very much. That remnant that God always kept for himself. They wanted to be able to sacrifice and to hear what an abomination was going to be made of their place of worship was unthinkable. I have a friend who lives in South Australia who was in tears one day when their local church was made into a nightclub because nobody wanted it as a church anymore. The the horror was not that it was made into a nightclub so much as that there was no need for it to be there as a church. But God has a book. There is great hope in chapter 12 about these end times. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. We know God doesn't break his promises. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning. That's what it starts off. There is going to be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning. We think we've seen some dreadful times, and we certainly have. The things that are happening in Afghanistan now, the things that are happening all over the world, things that happened in the Holocaust, people have been through terrible things. And the Bible shows that these individuals are in the book. God hasn't lost track of anyone. At the same time that God is controlling history, he's leaving time for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For deliverance in response to prayer. Prayer works. I would encourage you at this point to um, consider one of the online um, prayer meetings um, I had Tuesday night to myself last week. That mustn't happen again. What you have to do is get online. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to do anything much except say what you'd like to be prayed for and wait for the rest of us to do it if you like. The future, our future, the future of all the people around us 
is worked out by the twin realities of God's sovereignty and our choices. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Big words like the majestic that the kids are just learning about. Praise and glory and wisdom and honour and power and strength. But the other word in there is thanks. The attitude of thankfulness the attitude that only comes from remembrance of what God's done for us. Then one of the elders asked, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them by springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's why I say you need to read the old one about all the horrors with the new one about the, about the joys. God's people who stand firm through tribulation, whatever tribulation comes in their lifetime, can expect to be given positions of worship before the throne of God until the time of the return of the Lamb, when evil will no longer have any power over God's people and the triumph of the resurrected Christ will begin all things anew, a new heaven and a new earth. We know little of tribulation, not like has been inflicted on others, but we have to remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And just as these kings of old turned their anger at not being able to win battles, on to people of God. So it will be in the last times. But God isn't away. He has not turned his back on his people. He has not closed that book. But the trust we will need in times of tribulation is cultivated in the here and now. We need to read of him in his word. We need to pray to him and see his answers. We need to build trust in him who is to be trusted above all, because he is above all. And every time I push me up in that place, I lose trust 
So trust the evidence of his righteousness and his justice demonstrated throughout the Bible so that you are not tempted to take matters into your own hands in ways that put you into the clutches of the evil one, as some Jews did at the time of the monsters described in Daniel's vision. The question to you this morning is, how are you working to build your trust in God? Because it is work. It doesn't just happen. It's not like sitting in a wet place and finding that you've absorbed water. You have to work at trust, at building trust. God has given us the evidence. We just need to appropriate it. We need to be strengthening our spiritual muscles, not just to survive evil, but to overcome it. It is surely coming. And I think it's one of the reasons God put us here in church families. Romans, when it's talking about not taking revenge, says, leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. The task that we've set ourselves of making disciples of Jesus in Lindisfarne is the task for all of us. It's not something you can leave to the minister or leave even to the parish council. It's our job and it's how we build our spiritual muscles and our assurance. Learning to love and using it to strengthen one another helps us be overcomers. I, the list of the prayers that we have had answered since we've been meeting for prayer early on Monday mornings is incredible. About all manner of things. Some answered instantly. Some answered even before we'd prayed them. But nonetheless answered by a God who listens and answers us and can be trusted. So learning to love and using it to strengthen one another helps us to be overcomers. God has told us something of the end, not so we can calculate when it's coming, but so that we can understand how important it is to be ready. Amen. Mm-hmm.